the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3 and close out the week here. No one I'd rather do it with than our good friend Pete Peterson. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Pete, welcome back. You've been so busy. Um, it's it's a delight, uh, and I hope you had a thanks a great Thanksgiving and everything else. Wonderful to uh, have you back on the show with us uh, this afternoon. Great to be back with you, Seth, and uh, greetings from Washington, D.C. You know, Pete, um, I just got done interviewing a rabbi, and yeah. so um, I know that envy and jealousy are not good things to have, Um but I have uh, I, I have never been as jealous of or envious of you as I am today. You <laughs> you are at a conference in Washington D.C. with several friends and a ton of heroes and people I quote on this show all the time. You're with John DeUlio, who I was just doing a big talk on yesterday with regard to some of his research in criminology. You're with Robert George, Robbie George as we know him. You're with Hadley Arcus, Pete, Brad Wilcox, we talk about all the time. Take me with you sometime. (laughs) Well, if it helps Why would you ever leave that conference? Well, it's about it's about forty two degrees and raining here in D.C. If that at, at, at all uh, you know compensates, but it has been a and remains a, a wonderful couple days here. Uh, it's it's fair to say that it's been a a ray of light and warmth here uh, in Washington for this thirtieth uh, anniversary uh, conference on Robbie George's uh, book, Making Men moral, which um, looks broadly at the question, uh, can you legislate morality? And of course, the debate around uh, liberalism, the different panels looking at um, the importance of public policy and the law, whether it can dictate or influence moral behavior or reflect it, um, just really been some terrific uh, speakers, all those you named. And uh, to speak more. of a rabbi, <laughs> yeah. last night we had uh, Meyer, Rabbi Dr. Meyer Soloveitchik yeah. from yeah. Yeshiva yeah. just gave a terrific talk. I mean, it's the book itself and the, the arguments there have been wonderful to go through and understand how relevant they are to today. But yeah. it's worth saying on a more personal note just how affecting it's been for me as one of the co-hosts and co-organizers of the conference to see so many people that Robbie has influenced both as a professor and just as a mentor uh, over his decades just gather together to to celebrate him and this work. It's a tremendously important book. It's 30 years old, um, and it's as relevant today as it was when it was first published, perhaps even more so uh, in the sense, if I can quote Abraham Lincoln, our progress in degeneracy appears to be pretty rapid these Mm. days. Um, But let me say this about 
Robbie George, because the audience may want this book. This this book is so important, and it's called Making Men Moral, Civil Liberties and Public Morality. And it is, yes, in part, as you say, Pete, about the laws and public morality. I, I couldn't help but notice you spoke at this conference according to the agenda. In some cases, it's not just laws, though. I saw that you were speaking um, right before a panel on civil society – uh, with That's a, right. right with a guy named and I haven't seen his name in years. I am mm. so glad to see he is still alive. I wonder if you might say a few words about what he does, and that's Eugene Rivers. Yeah, no, uh, Reverend Rivers. He pops up uh, every now and again. I just haven't seen him pop up in a while. I'm so glad to see it. Go. I started. Yeah, yeah, and I, I have to say, uh, he is he is more than alive. He is Good. really kicking and, and well. Good. Um, based in Boston, uh, teaches at Harvard, um, but is someone that has been very involved in um, Robbie's work, especially as it pertains to the importance of creating uh, moral cultures in places where you may not understand them and arguing them in environments where you may not see them, specifically uh, the inner city. So uh, Reverend Rivers' point this morning on this panel around the importance of civil society and subsidiarity, those were the kind of the two twin themes there of that first panel this morning, were really to argue to conservatives first to say, and this is something maybe people don't know, just how influential Robbie is and his thinking is in the black church. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Reverend Rivers, who has uh, myriad networks and relationships in the American uh, black church, really did note how influential Robbie's thinking in this book and, and several others about the importance of creating moral cultures and environments yeah. and not necessarily wait for the the laws to come into being that right. would dictate certain types of behavior, but to really use those powers of self-government. Um, in and moral and ethical behavior to talk about the role of the church within civil society broadly, but specifically the role of the black church. Uh, that's something that conservatives, you know, we talk about uh, Jack Kemp uh, on our conversations regularly um, that he really was a leader in. Uh, Robbie is is one as well from a uh, intellectual perspective. But but also one to all conservatives, yeah. uh, of which Reverend Rivers would describe himself as one, uh, really need to be thinking about the importance of these ideas uh, in the city and and specifically in black communities. Yeah, wonderfully put, uh, Pete Peterson. Uh, I remember Eugene Rivers' work a long time ago kind of showing that um, for a lot of the problems that the urban communities uh, suffer from, it's not always a government answer. And I would yep. wrap that into what I was talking about with the audience two days ago in a monologue where I had occasion to quote John DeUlio at length, another participant there and one of our, would you say, one of our greatest living criminologists? I think it's still fair to Absolutely. say that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. tying his work to someone who helped found your school, one of the greatest living criminologists of all time, Jim Wilson. Right. And that the work of fighting crime in some respects, maybe in the most decisive respects, starts with that phrase you just used, self-government. They would have called it impulse control and the work right. and the importance of the church 
and religion um, in fighting what is the problem of youth male crime. Right. You know, it's been one of the themes of, of several of the panels, especially a couple of them today, just around this this relationship that you've just outlined between law, public policy, and civil society and personal behavior, yeah. this this strange confluence yeah. that the founders understood so yeah. well and yeah. Alexis de Tocqueville understood so well uh, that we've mentioned so many times in our conversations. But it's it's not enough to say that you can legislate morality, but to say that law and public policy don't reflect the morality of a culture is also not the right thing to say, too. But to say that moral behavior can only be dictated by law. This was actually on that same panel. Tim Carney uh, was was talking about this as well, that he he cited some research that showed actually in areas of higher regulation, you have higher levels of what might be called antisocial or immoral behavior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that there does need to be this self-governance and a culture um, Robbie would call this a moral ecology, if yeah, you will, that yeah. needs to be built in communities that you're not only relying on the law for moral behavior. You do need those other elements of civil society and certainly the family, most fundamentally. That's been a major part of these two days to inculcate those virtues. You have about five more hours for me, Pete, on this topic. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can, I, I would love to do this all day long with you. Um, this is the most important thing our society faces right now, particularly our uh, places of uh, deprivation and deprivation, if you will. Um, yeah. Let me let me take a quick commercial break, Pete, and come back on some of that with you, including the thing we didn't quite get to yet, which is about this pregnant phrase of legislating morality as well. Let's throw that into the mix when we come back. Pete Peterson is my guest, is our guest. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, where they teach this stuff better than anyone else. If you want to go into public policy, you want to go to the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy at a great conference in Washington on a book. Great book as well by Robert P. George, Making Men Moral. Pete, you um, you can uh, suffer or rejoice. And this is our first day of unloading our Christmas bumper music. So we're, we're experimenting here. Hey, no, I love here. the Beach Boys. Okay, I love the right. Beach Boys. Very appropriate. <laughs> okay. Very good. David, uh, just notice how Pete operates. He's a very inductive teacher. He says he loves things. So he's not going to say when he doesn't. Just notice, yeah, you know, the silence will be will be equally instructive. What he speaks of and what he doesn't speak of is how Very he good. teaches. Yes, Pete. By the way, not a bad thought on making men moral and legislating morality, because I am of a school of thought that a society does teach behavior through what it tolerates and what it does not tolerate uh, through laws as well yep. as through the things that aren't that are extra legal if you will and we were talking a little bit about that part let's talk about now the coercion of laws if you will that's yep. perhaps too strong a word it's jefferson's phrase but the necessity of laws it's an it's an idea as ancient as aristotle really quite i yep. think he says any 
city community polis, which is to be uh, good, is not only one in name, but one that devotes itself to encouraging goodness. And I don't know why yeah, we is. retract and from I'm, that. Why know, do we retract from that? Right. Well, and this really does go straight to what we might call America's founding principles, right? I'm thinking about Madison's argument in the Federalist Papers. Yep. I think it was 43. Okay. It was in the 40s okay. where he, he asks and answers the question. He asks, why has government been formed at all? Right. And then he answers, because the passions of men Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. will not conform to the dictates of reason Mm -hmm. without restraint. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, this is a basic understanding of human nature, right? Now, of course, we we understand that things can go too far, and you can get that coercive nature in the negative. Mm -hmm. And you can also move so far, you know, back to your point about the fact that that laws can represent what a society will stand for, mm-hmm. uh, you can get to a place where people only rely on the law yeah, right. for right. Uh, making people conform to the dictates of reason. And that's really then the importance of family, culture, civil society, all the other outside of legal and governmental um, mechanisms to help produce and mature a people that don't need the force of law as much. This is such a pregnant point. To every sentence you say is so pregnant, Pete. Um, <laughs> no, really, it is. And I'm not. I'm not being. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not being. I'm not joking about this because it goes to Tim Carney's point too. In a way, I would argue. I think you'd agree that yes, the laws also have to make sense if they go, are going to be obeyed. And maybe right. that goes to the Carney point where you can have an over-regulatory a- area or agency or area of laws or society where the de- depraved behavior will increase. I would argue it's probably because those laws don't, that regulation doesn't make sense. On the other hand, I would also say these laws that help us uh, maintain civility uh, are laws that we've stopped explaining and understanding. Well, we've stopped explaining, and thus people start 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 to lose their understanding of them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do, and I, I think actually there that's a pregnant uh, point as well. <laughs> Seth, I have to say because it, it in my mind I'm thinking, and again I'm drawing from some of the these themes from uh, arguments that are coming out of this amazing conference, which I should say. Um, all the video for the, the panels will be available uh, through both the AEI and School of Public Policy. Just to make uh, us more jealous channel. for having not been there. I get it, Pete. Right, I get right, it. Right, right. I get it. be observed at your leisure. But it brings up a couple things. One is that it's also the case, um, I think you're absolutely right to say, and this was really more Tim's point, where people don't even know what some of these laws are. So Uh not only the complexity of law, but also just law getting into places where people didn't even know they're breaking the law. So that's, or or not believing in the enforcement of the law, right? So that's the other part of it. Mm -hmm. But also, I think there's also this increasing ideological nature, not not so much of law, but of policy and what's now being called directives. I'm seeing more and more of these highly ideological directives 
that are coming down from non-elected bureaucracies. I'm seeing this especially in the educational field, right, where we're seeing state boards of education. Mm -hmm. We saw we heard a little bit of this actually last night at the debate between DeSantis and Newsom, where state boards of education are not necessarily saying you have to use these books, but they're saying that we're encouraging you to support this kind of content. Certainly, we see this in the environmental space where state boards of uh, environmental protection and certainly the, the federal EPA, there's there's some law there, but there's a lot of policy and there's also a lot of directive work going on there, too. That That's another part of this difficulty in understanding the impact of law is that some things you think are laws are actually directives, but there's also this increasing ideological nature yes. that we're seeing in public policy yes. uh, that also needs to be considered. Yes. Now, this will bridge back to a point in Robert George's book, Robbie, we call him, uh, those who know him call him Robbie. If we say that, it's not meant in any way diminutive. It's just his nickname. Um, but this is a, a big point in his book, too, though, this notion that I'd like to bring up of, of victimless crimes, Pete. We go through these mm. debates now. We see, particularly with younger and younger generations, well, why do there have to be laws against prostitution? Heck, let's even call them sex workers and unionize them. These are victimless right. crimes at worst or at best. We do this with the drug laws. Um, it's not so, as it turns out, but we have stopped explaining the reasons behind them. That's what I kind of mean when I say the laws have to make sense, but we have to make sense of them to future or to ongoing generations because we've forgotten, not you and I, but too many have forgotten the reasoning behind some of these laws, which help yeah. make men moral. Right. And and again, that was one of the interesting panel. I mean, they've all been fascinating, but <laughs> one of the very interesting panels yesterday was the one on the social sciences, uh-huh. which that's a part where, frankly, I don't think conservatives have really been availing themselves correct, correct. of the real supportive social science on some of these issues, right. like some of these so-called moral laws, right. that there really is solid research that shows that for the betterment of society and even the individuals involved, right. There's, there, there can be multiple reasons why these laws are important to sustain and and have on the books. Let me, di- let me take the break on that point and come right back on it. It, it might be one of the biggest points uh, our society is neglecting at its peril, uh, if I can. Pete Peterson is our guest. We're talking about a wonderful conference he's at over an equally wonderful book celebrating an equally wonderful book, that of Robert George's uh, Making Men Moral. Pete Peterson, Dean of Pepperdine School of Public Policy, where they do take this stuff seriously and they do teach this. Uh, He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is my guest. Uh, He is the Dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy at a conference on Making Men Moral based on the book of the same title. Over in uh, Washington, D.C., a conference uh, he helped uh, put together and sponsor. It's the kind of good stuff Pepperdine does. Uh, Pete, um, yeah, we were talking about how conservatives have kind of let up on the gas on some of this. Uh, Some of us have forgotten the arguments. I see you have Hadley Arcus at the conference. He used to tell the story of Chesterton. I don't know if he did it here. Um, no. Chesterton with the student who goes, uh, the, the, the cannibalist student who, who goes to Oxford and is hungry for lunch 
and his roommate says, um, yeah, we do this at the cafeteria, uh, not in, you know, on, on, on the campus green. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and the cannibal yeah. asks why, and the modern student says that's just the way we do it here. Hadley's point right. being, and Chesterton's point being, once upon a time we would be able to explain why we don't eat fellow human beings. Yeah, This right. is what we have right. not done well as conservatives, explaining the whys of these things. Yeah, and, and these are both philosophic uh, human nature and social science arguments. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, it reminds me, and, and, and those kinds of moral quandaries have been brought up on a couple of the other panels. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminds me of Jonathan Haidt's work, yep. uh, especially his book, uh, The Righteous Mind, mm-hmm. where he goes into uh, some research, survey research he did with students. I think it was at NYU. That's certainly where he That's is where now. He is, yeah. mm-hmm. But asking these kind of fundamental moral quandary questions uh, as a way of understanding how people on the left and right perceive them. And there's one of these five moral foundations that Haidt calls, uh, describes as holding things sacred, mm-hmm. which is a, a much higher value for people on the right than it is for people on the left. And so when people are hearing a, a moral quandary, like the one that you just proposed with a, with a cannibalistic student, yeah. there's not a vocabulary that these subjects uh, who are self-described progressives in, in height studies, they didn't have a vocabulary for saying that is wrong. Yeah. Right. 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 It was, you know, that's just not the way we do mm-hmm. it in this culture. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't even a, a normative equation to say, you know, that our culture is better than your culture on, on matters like this. Correct. You know, it was for why would it be at this point? Yes. That's we can't right. tell you why. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. I can't tell you why. And mm-hmm. I can't tell you why it's morally wrong, because mm-hmm. that vocabulary um, has been removed. Right. Um, but obviously, it's a, it's a major part of the the decisions and the uh, public policies and the laws that we establish every day. And uh, again, that's why uh, I think, even though the book is now thirty years old, it's been so interesting to see the complete relevance to these articles to. Uh, to that book, to the events that are happening today. Of course, some of this is maddening, um, too. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an article over the summer, uh, you may have read it, uh, by George Will, who was—he's um, not at the conference, is he? No. Okay, not surprised. Um, He—and uh, the reason I say it is this. He wrote a column over the summer uh, about uh, the governor of um, North Dakota, who's running for president, uh, Doug, right. Doug Berger. And he was talking about the libertarianism of Doug Burgum and how Doug Burgum rightfully, according to George Will, doesn't believe it is DeSantian or presidential or conservative to get involved in some of these culture wars about what school children should be reading, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, boy, what a fall from a man who tried to write a very important book called Statecraft is Soulcraft, which Soulcraft, George writes, right. Statecraft is yeah. Soulcraft, wherein he writes that legislation, much legislation should be moral legislation because it conditions 
quoting him in 1983, I think, the action and the thought of the nation in broad and important spheres of life. I know you. Right. I know. I know. This was a short segment, and I know we we only have you for a few more minutes. But can I have you pick up on that on the other side of this break, and we'll get you out of yeah, out in, in, absolutely, in just time because that's a big one. Um, George Will opens his book. We'll take the break. Opens his book. With a quote, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, yes, from Cicero, a commonwealth is the property of a people, but a people is not any collection of human beings brought together in any sort of way, but an assemblage of people in large numbers associated in an agreement with respect to justice and a partnership for the common good. And laws have a responsibility for not only creating, but maintaining that common good. I'll have Pete Peterson from Pepperdine weigh in on that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is my guest, dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm getting nervous, Pete. You're not saying good things about some of this music, so we're taking that instruction from you. I kind of feel like the... uh I kind of feel like the uh, no, no, the governor, no. the governor like in blazing no, saddles. Like I'm not, I'm not getting a harumph out of you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mel Brooks in uh, blazing, <laughs> blazing saddles. <laughs> yeah, blazing right. saddles. A movie you can't air much anymore. I right. don't think right. anyway. Right. 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 Statecraft is soulcraft as a principle. Yeah. Pete, that's a big part of making men moral. It seems to me. Feel free. Well, and. I think what Will misses in the argument that you just outlined, and I think many people on the so-called libertarian right miss, is the kinds of legislation that they would prefer, the so-called culture war legislation and public policy that these types would prefer Republicans and conservatives not get engaged in, are public policy discussions. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're either engaged. It's not as if that public policy is necessarily being created by conservatives. Right. In many of these cases, conservatives and Republicans and well-meaning Democrats are either being asked to go along with the legislation that's being proposed that we see as being increasingly ideological, especially in places like our education system. Or they're looking to respond to it. Obviously, this came out in the debate last night where I think DeSantis really effectively negated the so-called book banning charge. That it wasn't so much book banning, but making things age appropriate. Because there were a group of legislators and policymakers and policy influencers and activists that were seeking to move this type of material and this type of education and coursework to younger and younger audiences. And so you're either engaging in that policy debate or you're seeding it. And I I, I just cannot abide by great minds like George Will essentially saying and celebrating policymakers and political leaders that are willing to seed those kinds of policy and political debates. Correct. And that's why we would wish, if we could, to drag him back, if we could, to those original sentiments he used to write about the way he used to write about them. Because it is, you're right, a seeding um, of responsibility and authority 
uh, for the young, no doubt, no question. But in a sense, uh, so in his book, Statecraft is Soulcraft, Will writes, just as all education is moral education, much legislation is moral legislation because it conditions the actions and thought of the nation. And, you know, rather than thinking of it even as seeding, which it is, as you put it, do we think that those who want kindergartners reading about this kind of stuff that used to be considered pornographic isn't itself leftists version of or the uh, whatever movement you want to call it version yeah. of trying to train morally there? They see it as a moral issue. Well, why why can't we? I mean, it's I think it's a weird thing of nomenclature that the term culture warriors is usually used to brand people on the right. Right, for responding to this kind of CR, right. you know what, Without AP. understanding yeah. that the culture war is is often seen as something being waged by the right. Right. No, Correct. it's simply something that both <laughs> sides are engaged in. Yeah. And to see this as a one-sided war by the right really doesn't give the credit that's due to those on the left who are pushing for these kinds of laws and public policies. Yeah. It's that's 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 precisely the point. And as you were right to point out, you said well-meaning Democrats, I think was your phrase a few moments ago, Pete, as you well point out, as I when I give talks on this often point out in his 1996 State of the Union speech, no one got this better. Maybe got is the wrong word. No one spoke of this more articulately than Bill Clinton in talking about the debate over the V chip to give parents the responsibility of raising their children in environments that are safe and comport with the morality that the parents want. That was Bill Clinton in 1996. Yeah, and we all know that he would not have a ghost of a chance had he been thinking about running today. That's correct. Not with that point. That point. You're right. That's no, right. That's exactly I mean, right. It's uh, and, and, and it speaks to that larger discussion or debate around the role of parents uh-huh. and the role of families, which is also a major theme of this two-day conference, and of course, Robbie's work to understand the the role of families in civil society. That's right. That's right. I know you have to go in a minute. You just tell me when. Um, uh, but can I keep you for about another couple minutes, or do you got to run right now? Nope, couple two, minutes. Two minutes is good, Pete Peterson. Thank you. Um, I was curious if you might end where we began with John DeUlio, because crime is such a big and pregnant issue again, once again. And the role of the church, when he was doing his early work on this, he you said family structure is hugely important. We've seen the Brookings and other studies. He was, when he was writing, I wonder if he still maintains that even strong church attendance can— um, can beat every other indicator and predictor of a life of crime for a young male. Not He didn't yeah. talk about females. He was talking about young males in those days. That was his specialty, his expertise. Church and religiosity. And we worry about this when we know how much church attendance and religiosity has declined over the last generation. Might you close with a thought on that as we yeah, begin well, with him? Yeah, well, I mean, given my conversation with John today, yeah. there's no doubt that he would continue Good. to Good. Um, endorse. Good that line of thinking. And it is a big part of this, which, again, speaks to which uh, which is a value, you know, thinking back on our on our friend uh, George Will here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it used to be a position of his mm-hmm. that he understood the importance of churches, even though not a man of faith himself. Right. But in a democratic republic, the, the importance of family, church, civil society 
again, informing people that can experience and handle, frankly, (laughs) the very live wire that is freedom and liberty, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so this ability, what are those institutions and, and what are the ones that we're seeing our culture attacking what where do we think the trade-offs are coming and certainly we're we're seeing this uh and need to really count the cost and churches do as well and i think that's been another that certainly was dr river's point today i mean churches need to be held to account as well for declining church absolutely right just blame culture that's correct that's a big we we have to be thinking about our own the, the relevance of faith institutions in speaking to this moment. Thank you. No one asked a question the relevance of you and what your school at Pepperdine is doing. Pete, God bless you, sir. Thank you for being with us. Say hi to my old buddies over there while you're there. Will do. All right, brother. Thank you. I'll be right back. Oh, gee, how'd that get in there? Yeah. How did it? I wonder. Impudence. Impertinence. Refractory behavior. Sammy Davis Jr., Christmas, children, Ra- Raquel- shining. Recalcitrance. I'm on the right side of history, folks. Portions of our show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a secure investment. It actually helps people, and they're based and headquartered here locally. You can actually visit them in person. I've been there any number of times. Their offices are right on Chauncey Lane in uh, North Phoenix. If you do go visit them, you won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. They just like talking about what it is that they do. What do they do? They offer up an investment, a secure and collateralized investment, and um, where you can earn up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. It's not tied to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's got a ton of flexibility where you are in control. There are absolutely no fees. There is no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back at any time, you can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, and you get your monthly statement with no surprises. You can check them out if you don't see them in person. Go to them in person at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24, 888-Y-REFI-24, and tell him I sent you, Seth sent you. Um, Making Men Moral, the name of Robert George's book, or Statecraft is Soulcraft, George Will's earlier book, 1983. I believe it was 1983. Couldn't have been later than that. I'm pretty sure. 82 or 83. In any event, let us as a Republican Party and conservative movement not give up on this birthright of ours, this point. It is a birthright of ours. Our very first political party platform, the very first Republican Party platform of what year, young David? 1856. Thank you. Said resolved that the Constitution confers upon Congress sovereign powers over the territories of the United States for their government and that in the exercise of this power, it is both the right and the imperative duty of Congress to prohibit in the territories those twin relics of barbarism. And they were what, young David? Slavery and polygamy. Thank you. Polygamy and slavery. Right there, right after the platform revivified and restated the principles and language from our Declaration of Independence in 1856, it resolved to not only oppose slavery, but also polygamy, calling them relics of barbarism. This made all the sense in the world, of course, as you know, Utah would not be admitted admitted to the Union until a band 
polygamy. Um, and for slavery, there was, aside from polyg- polygamy, perhaps with a great deal more force and evil, no greater threat to the values of family, humans being downgraded into property. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us, folks. Until Monday, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.